0: Everyone. Good morning. And good morning to everyone watching about the community and about the United States and about the world. We love you all very much. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for uh, contacting us and saying hello, even requesting prayer. We, we do appreciate that. And we hope everything has been well with all of our brothers and sisters around the United States and, and the world at large. Thank you for joining us for our Bible studies and our Exposition of Scripture, and we pray we can serve you wisely and well. Um, Please do, if if, uh, you wish, uh, remain uh, after the conclusion of the uh, service uh, this morning. Actually, we'll uh, have prayer and a hymn after our exposition of scripture and as part of the service we will bring uh, Brother Dan up front and as we are commanded by the New Testament we will place some oil upon his head and your church servant leaders will lay hands upon him and pray for him and commission him to the Lord and for the Lord's uh, service to serve uh, out of this church and uh, we pray God in a greater and wider and wonderful way in the community. is a very, very happy day in the life of a church, even a small church, to be raising up more leaders within the church and commissioning uh, these servant leaders to go into the community and the world at large to preach the gospel and to, uh, to serve the kingdom. So this is a very happy day. And uh, I think I may have mentioned to you before, I'm, I'm one that very much believes in creating opportunities and giving opportunities for good folks to do good things and for the kingdom. So we rejoice with Dan and his family, and we rejoice as a church. Uh, Today, we will finish our journey with the Apostle Paul through his letter to the church in Ephesus. We will conclude with chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, in which he requests for prayer upon his behalf and gives you some information about his life, what is taking place in his life at that particular time, very important events in the life of the early church. And uh, he will mention one of the most important courier missions ever in history in his concluding remarks to this letter. I've always uh, maintained that we need to pay just as close attention to the opening and closing of New Testament letters as we do to the body. There's not a desultory word in sacred scripture. Everything is important, and I hope you'll find that to be so as we conclude the letter today. First, uh, let me offer a prayer. Sovereign Lord God, our heavenly Father, ruler of heaven and earth, we thank you for our salvation, and we thank you for the beautiful creation about us that you made us to inhabit, and to cultivate, and to enjoy, and to take care of on your behalf. We thank you for beautiful. Late spring, early summer days, such as these, which points to the world to come, Eden restored. And we long for those days, O sovereign God. Thank you for creating us, redeeming us, and making us part of your divine plan, the plan that Paul is given and teaches in this book. We pray that you will open the hearts and minds of everyone about the United States who's been watching and listening, and through the various countries of the world, folks who have been watching and listening. Help us all to hear these words, and by the power and assistance of your spirit help us all to be dutiful in translating these words into action in our life on a daily basis as good and faithful christian soldiers on our way through the battleground of this life to our eternal home the eternal eden the eternal kingdom we pray for our brother in india who has contacted us this morning we pray for our brother in india and for every member of his family we pray for their situations and circumstances as believers in india it may be difficult for him and his family there. We pray for all of their family troubles. Reveal yourself to this good brother and his family and draw others about them in their sphere of influence to salvation by your work through this dear brother's life and his family. We pray for Mindy and her family. Heal them of their illnesses, raise them up to good health, and give them back their, to their normal schedules. And in every illness, every situation, every circumstance, help them to look for you, watch and listen for you. For that is what all of these things are about, to draw us deeper into you and to prune us and groom us for the eternal kingdom. We pray for Judy. Please heal her from her fall. I pray that you will keep her in good health, that she was not injured from the fall, and that she will be able to enjoy the company of her sister and her sister's family, which she's looking forward to so much. And we pray for our dear brother Steve that you will heal him and help him get back to his farm chores as he wishes and bring him back to his church family who loves him very, very much. Please hear our prayer in their behalf of Sovereign God. Hear our prayer in behalf of the proclamation and the teaching of your word, which will go forth this day and as it is recorded for many days to come, we pray, the world over, that saints will be equipped. To live as faithful Christian soldiers, and that those who are living in darkness will be given light and be brought to life in Jesus Christ our Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, for the reading of the word of the Lord? Our conclusion to Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Ephesians 6, 19 to 24. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, he will make everything known to you. And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So now the conclusion to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Paul's prayer request for, uh, upon, upon his own behalf, for his own life, situations, and circumstances, and of course his concluding remarks, which is a very, very beautiful benediction, or ends with an invocation, a blessing, but as we would say, a benediction. Let me re- uh, unpack verses 19 and 20 for you together. We don't want to interrupt Paul's thought. Actually, his thought was interrupted somewhat in the verse delineation there, 19 to 20. Let me offer you this translation as well, of course, uh, word-for-word equivalent from the original language. Pray for me as well that a message may be given to me when I open my mouth to boldly make the mystery of the gospel known, on behalf of which I am an ambassador here in chains, that therein I may speak boldly as I must so speak. So now Paul closes his teaching on prayer. Uh, concluding the great uh, spiritual warfare Christian soldier metaphor for the Christian life. his teaching about prayer's role in spiritual warfare. And he closes this section by making a very impassioned appeal, a request, finally, for prayer for himself. Last of all, he requests prayer for his own person, for himself, for his situation, his circumstance. In his, um, how shall I say it, his quarter of the battlefield, his trench, in which he's fighting the spiritual conflict. His place in the battlefront is, if I may use this expression, in the very belly of the beast, Rome, the capital of the empire itself. A prayer requests that he receives the strength, the courage, the boldness that he needs to resist being intimidated, to be overcome with fear, to fall prey to despondency or despair over his present situation and circumstances. The apostle prays that he will be divinely empowered to, as he writes, boldly declare or proclaim or teach the gospel of Christ with the power that it needs, with the authority and particularly the clarity that he's going to need for this particular audience that he has in mind when he's going to proclaim the gospel. The word he uses for boldness could be translated probably into several words in English. The word that we traditionally translate as confidence or boldness is paresia. Paresia is a special word. Yes, confidence and boldness. However, there's something in the meaning of this word that, uh, if I may express it this way, it's a boldness and it's a confidence. I like boldness. That's probably the stronger translation and the better one. A confidence and a boldness that does have real courage, that has some real almost aggressive guts behind it. That's the kind of boldness in his preaching and his proclamation that Paul is praying for by way of this prayer request. I'm going to uh, work you through a few paragraphs that I wanted to give to you this morning from one of my favorite commentaries on Ephesians that I've studied and our journey through the book of Ephesians. And one of the uh, commentaries was written by a theologian by the name of S.M. Bau. And he's also a magnificent historian, as well as a, a wonderful Bible commentator and theologian. And he very, did a splendid job of drawing the first-century world in which this letter was written into his commentary. And I'm a firm believer that we have to go back 2,000 years to the original audience from the original biblical author, even though those folks are separated from us by 2,000 years, if you go to their world first and work your way from there, yes, it will help you to understand how relevant this is for believers in every age and how we are to translate these words into action in our life today. And this is a section in which Paul focuses on himself and his, his uh, partners Uh, co-workers, fellow workers in the ministry in the first century A.D. at that time. We need to know about this. We need to understand this. We need to appreciate this. He writes, Paul may at first glance appear to be something of a superhero. We often turn him into just that, a superhero. He does not ask for prayer for his safety, nor does he uh, ask for prayer uh, in custody or for kind treatment in custody. He does not ask for his physical needs to be met. He does not ask for the Ephesian Christians to pray for his health even. He doesn't even ask them to pray for his freedom. All he wants is paresia, courage, boldness, some guts in his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in that request he shows just how very real a human being that he is. And he is not a superhero. Paul is asking for boldness. Why? Because he is very concerned that he may not have boldness when he speaks before the emperor and the emperor's tribunal. He is concerned about suffering perhaps a lack of courage to, as he would write or say, stand in the evil day, a day in which he has already faced so many times before in his life and his ministry. Remember what he tells the Christians in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, speaking of himself when he writes, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. End quote. And though not always, Paul did apparently lack bold speech sometimes, for he quotes his detractors, things that they said about him in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. For they say his letters, that is he, Paul, They say that his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. End quote. And this was written at a time in the first century Greco-Roman world when physical presence in public speaking was considered to be tremendously important and effective. In that culture, very flowery, purple prose, bold, skilled rhetoric, or oratory was considered to be of tremendous importance in the Greco-Roman world at this time. What's the point here? Paul's keenly aware of this. The point is that Paul's message, the Gospel, must be delivered in God's power, not his own. It must not be delivered in Paul's power. It must be delivered in the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through him to his audience. And we can apply this to ourselves the proclamation of the Word of God, of the gospel, it must be empowered by the Word of God genuinely and authentically and the Spirit of God, the original author of the Word of God. Not in our own, not in our own power, not in our own skills and abilities and talents. Nothing inherent or intrinsic in us. It must be empowered by the Spirit of God. So here in this letter, this particular prayer request Yes, I'd say Paul is keenly aware. He's even painfully aware of his office, his duty, his responsibility as an emissary, an ambassador of the gospel of the kingdom of the Messiah. The word he uses for ambassador is presbuo. And that is a word by which we uh, come by Presbyterian, from presbuo, presbyteros. And the original uh, root word means uh, an elder or a senior. And, of course, in the ancient world, elders or seniors were held in very high regard and held uh, positions of responsibility and leadership. So it was believed a presbyo an elder or a senior, a mature, experienced person, is the person to serve as a representative and an ambassador, which they often did. Paul, in particular here, is, of course, an ambassador of the kingdom of Christ, an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Yes, the ancient world did not worship youth, as fallen, corrupt American culture does. The ancient world honored their elders and the experience and expertise which comes with age and with experience. Paul is terribly concerned over his preaching, isn't he? Because he mentions, I'm in chains here. Now, I do not believe he is at this point in the Mamertine notorious prison. He is probably under what we would call house arrest or house custody, in which he is given a certain amount of freedom and that people can visit him, meet his needs. He can preach the gospel to these folks. He may preach out his window and the doorway to the street. He's certainly filling the ears of a lot of Roman guards with the gospel of, of Jesus. But he is probably in chains, some sort of shackles. Make sure he doesn't run off. He doesn't want to run off. He made the request to be there in Rome, has his right as a Roman citizen to speak before the emperor, in the emperor's tribunal. But he is in chains and he needs divine assistance in this circumstance and situation. It's interesting that in the original Greek language from the the most reliable manuscripts, verses 19 or 20 are written a little awkward, even a little haltingly for Paul, and that's not characteristic of Paul. He may be under great stress or emotion as he is talking about himself towards the end of this letter here. Again, the point God is the one who must give the power and the prowess to Paul's message and to our message. You see, the situation here, it's it's not, please let me clarify this, it's not that Paul doesn't know what to say. He knows full well what to say. He's been preaching the gospel all over the empire, well, well, nigh all over the empire, for decades by this time, right? He knows full well what to say. He knows the gospel message upside down, inside out, extremely well. But he nevertheless, he knows he wants and needs divine leading and strength to properly put the right words together in a timely and powerful way for this particular target audience that he's going to be facing in his hearing, his tribunal in Rome. And he is going to be speaking before a very arrogant, rank, crass, pagan audience at that. This brings to mind the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, Luke 21:14 and 15. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. Now some folks take that as an excuse that they don't have to do their doctrinal or theological studies. That is not what that statement by the Lord Jesus means at all. We have got to get into the book and get the book into us. And be very diligent students of the Word of God. What Jesus meant is get that knowledge of me and my truth into you and when the time comes when you will be called upon to give a defense of my person and my work, the Gospel, I, my Spirit, will help you and assist you at that moment and that time to give the truth that you have studied, that you have absorbed, that you will be able to wisely and well proclaim the truth that you have learned. That's what he means. And let's not forget Paul's situation here at this time in his life. Stakes can scarcely be higher. As far as his public ministry is concerned, he's about to face one of the greatest challenges of his life, which ironically is one of the greatest opportunities of his life, of his Christian mission. He will stand before a tribunal in Rome before Emperor Nero himself (whistles) and Nero's court. Nero was one of the great monsters amongst the Roman emperors. At this time we believe he's not quite as evil and demented as he eventually became a few years from now. But it's very interesting that he's going to be speaking before Nero and Nero's court and the varied Roman officials who will be there as well. And he's going to have to defend himself against all charges which means what? He's going to have to defend the Christian faith In the Christian movement at the same time. And thereby, he is going to be proclaiming the Christian message, the gospel, the person and work of the Jewish Messiah, the one true living God, King of kings, and Lord of lords. And this is just not Paul wishing to go free, to get off the hook, as we would say. It's an extraordinary opportunity for this man to proclaim the good news, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to be presenting this, of course, again from, well, an earthly point of view, some of the most powerful and influential people in the known world at that time. No doubt, this man is under a lot of stress. Experienced old campaigner in presenting the gospel that he is. Most people would find this an extremely stressful, anxious, and intimidating situation. I would say there is intense spiritual warfare going on here. And Paul clearly sees his need for prayer. My fellow dear Christian soldiers in Ephesus, please pray for me to stand firm and to fight the good fight as a Christian soldier here before the emperor in the belly of the pagan beast, Rome itself. Let me give you a few other, I think, very important observations that that we should be aware of that Dr. makes makes clear in his commentary about Paul's circumstances here in this text. He writes here in chapter 6, verse 20, Paul says something that should shock anyone deeply, particularly in the ancient world. Paul says that he is an emissary, an ambassador in chains. Now at this time in the ancient world, in that culture, mistreatment of any emissary or ambassador was not just a mere breach of political protocol, or even more seriously a cause for war or the intensification of war amongst nations. It was an invitation, or so the pagan religions thought, for their pagan gods to actually intervene with harsh retribution against the offending nation which had abused that emissary or that ambassador. It is also a very heavy irony that Paul blatantly calls himself an emissary in chains. Since emissaries or ambassadors were frequently sent to Rome from the various cities like Ephesus throughout the empire. These emissaries were to give formal speeches before the Roman Senate and sometimes the emperor himself on behalf of those they represented and behalf of those who sent them. And therefore, they had to be skilled. They had to be proficient in bold public speaking or they would not be accepted or taken seriously. They had to be very skilled and proficient in bold public speaking since that was their main function as an emissary. Though Paul was brought to Rome at his own request, but nevertheless under arrest and custody in chains, he would appear before the emperor, as was his right as a Roman citizen, to give a formal speech and not just a mere personal defense. He says, a message. I have a message. A message of a revealed mystery from the one and true living God. What is that mystery? The plan of salvation in Christ by divine plan. As an emissary from God, from the risen and exalted Christ, the Messianic King, the King of all kings. So therefore he asks his fellow Christian soldiers in Ephesus to pray for his bold proclamation. End quote. And so we must pray for bold proclamation for those who proclaim the gospel in our generation. And so we must pray for bold proclamation for our generation pray for bold proclamation pray for bold proclamation pray for bold proclamation for anyone and everyone who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere and everywhere the world over and pray for your own gospel proclamation don't get fearful Christian soldier don't get intimidated don't turn coward don't turn or budge an inch. Get in there like our big brother Paul into the very belly of the beast and proclaim the truth of he who is truth and the source of all truth. He speaks of the mystery of the gospel. Musterion euangelion. Musterion means, particularly I've given you this before when the apostles write in this myster- pardon me, mysterious phrase, it means God's plan of salvation in the past that over the centuries of time was something of a mystery, but it was slowly being revealed over time. And now that the Messiah has arrived, one of the great climactic parts of the divine plan has come. This plan of salvation is fully revealed out in the open and is being proclaimed the world over. God's revealed plan of redemption in Christ for and through the end of the age for the world over. Jesus Christ Himself is the meaning and purpose and fulfillment of this plan and this message. He is at the very heart and center of this plan for the ages and the nations, and in time all of the peoples of the world. So let's put this into further perspective from Paul's generation. The Greek word, the praesbio, that Paul uses here for emissary or ambassador. Let's go to the equivalent in the Roman world, since he's in the capital of the Roman Empire. I will give you the equivalent of the Greek word that Paul uses for ambassador or representative. In Roman and Latin, it's legatus. We translate it as legate. There were imperial legates or there were senatorial legates. And a Roman legate was a representative either of the Roman emperor himself or of the Roman senate. And in the life of Christ, the time of the apostles, Roman governors of very important provinces were often legates, imperial or senatorial. Let me uh, show you how this works out. In Palestine, okay. Pro, uh, sometimes an imperial legate, sometimes a senatorial legate, who was often a senator himself, was sent to govern important provinces. Now, uh, Galilee, Judea, the Decapolis, Perea, the other provinces of what we would call Roman Palestine or Old Israel, they were really under the administration of the senatorial or imperial legate of Syria. Syria was a very important Roman province in that part of the world. And all of the uh, the areas in Galilee and Judea, old Israel, uh, Palestine, they answered to the legate in Syria. However, there was often a representative who was put in place by the emperor uh, or the Roman senate, the Roman military, by the legate in Syria. That's what Pontius Pilate was. Pontius Pilate was a prefect. He was a Roman military officer, probably a full colonel or something, the equivalent of a rank of a brigadier general. And he was the governor of Judea. And he commanded the garrison there and kept an eye on those provinces there. And he answered to the legate in Syria, who was a direct representative of the Senate or the emperor. So, at many times, these legates could be appointed by the emperor himself. It's a very important office in the Roman Empire to directly represent the Roman ruler or the Roman ruling body. You see here, put it together. What is Paul saying? Who is Paul? What is Paul? Paul is a presbio, a legate of the eternal God, the ultimate power and authority. And he's in chains. Kingdoms in conflict, folks. The kingdom of God against the kingdoms of this fallen world. Paul is a legate of the emperor, the king of the universe. And he has received a direct commission, if you recall, on the road to Damascus from the king of the universe to give his message, to represent his kingdom, and to reveal his plan for the world, once a mystery revealed over time. And at the center of this plan and this message is the king, the emperor, Christ himself. And so you and I are probably not capital A ambassadors or capital E emissaries as Paul, but we are most certainly small letter A ambassadors, small letter e, emissaries, to the kingdoms of this world, from the kingdom of the Christ. Verse 21. But that you also may know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, or some pronounce Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. So Paul decides to write, again, under the inspiration of the Spirit, something of a shorter, more concise conclusion to this letter than to some of his letters. And we find that he is commissioning this Christian brother, Tychicus, who he applauds as a faithful Christian minister. And he will be the bearer of this letter. Do you see? He will be Paul's emissary. Paul is an emissary of Christ in Rome. Tychicus will be an emissary or an ambassador of the apostle to the churches in Asia Minor. And will, of course, as Paul says, he will inform the Ephesian Christians on all the details concerning Paul and the church in Rome. This is an example for us to emulate and to follow for life in the church. Whenever the Lord Jesus or the apostles hold up someone by name in the New Testament, pay attention to what they're saying about that person because that person is being held up as a role model, an example for us to emulate. And also, what's he saying here? We're sending folks out throughout the world in different countries and different provinces to keep up with one another. That's what we're supposed to be doing, to be keeping up with brothers and sisters the world over, with what they are doing, what's going on with them, what's going on with us, how we can work together, how we can accomplish things together for the kingdom of Christ. Are they in need? Can we help them? Role model to follow. Now what's uh, interesting here is also, let's put this conclusion together with Uh, information that we have from the other New Testament letters, even the book of Acts, with a little bit of church history thrown in concerning what's happening to Paul here and the early church. Now Tychicus is one of Paul's fellow Christian soldiers, as he mentions. A Christian worker, a minister, he may have been a translator. Uh, He may have been an amanuensis for Paul, as well as Timothy, uh, as he dictates Sacred Scripture, he was probably something of an evangelist, of a missionary. And Tychicus is in Rome with Paul, of course, as this letter is written. Now remember, this is a series of letters, what we call the prison letters, Colossians, Philemon, and Ephesians. All three of these New Testament books were written in this time period, while Paul is waiting in custody in Rome for his tribunal. And Tychicus, we believe, was from Ephesus. That lends some poignancy to the delivery of this letter. It is believed that Tychicus was an Ephesian himself. And he's going to be sent back there with this letter for the Ephesian church. He'll return bearing this letter and the other letters that I mentioned to you. Now this is important as well. You have to realize he's not going to just arrive there and here, here's the letter. Not at all. He's going to be responsible for teaching that letter. Tychicus is supposed to know the spiritual or theological contents of this letter backwards and forwards. So not only will he deliver it, he will read it aloud and he will teach the contents of the letter in Paul's behalf to the Christian brothers and sisters in Ephesus that he's going to see. He will serve as Paul's emissary or representative. And it's believed Tychicus traveled to Rome from Ephesus early on to stay with Paul when he heard that Paul was being shipped out to Rome at his own request. And we know that he continued to work with Paul and for Paul, even after Paul was released from his hearing before the emperor. Now, what an event that would have been. That's one of the events in history that, unfortunately, I find it interesting. We don't have a lot of details. We don't have a lot of details, if if any details at all, about how Paul actually defended himself and proclaimed the gospel that day before the emperor in the emperor's court. But we do know he was released. Isn't that interesting? The Spirit of God was with this man in defending the Christian message and himself. And one of the most depraved Roman emperors of all set him free, acquitted him, let him go. That is very, very significant. Now during Paul's second imprisonment, of course a few years later, there was the great fire of Rome in which the capital city was devastated and it was a great blow to the Roman Empire. There's a new book out about the fire of Rome and I'm eager to read it because it does have information about the world at that time and of course Christianity at that time. And we believe that Nero may have had a hand in it, who knows, sometimes that's debated. But he scapegoated the Christians amongst others and so a great persecution began some years later. And that is the persecution under which Paul was arrested and Peter was arrested by the way were tried in Rome and were sentenced to death and were martyred there. But before this arrest and martyrdom, Paul uh, sent Ty- uh, Tychicus back again to Ephesus on another expedition, and you can read of that in 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. And Paul praises Tychicus here in glowing terms, doesn't he? He is a role model for us all, an ideal Christian soldier and worker. And remember, Tychicus will be joined by Onesimus. Remember him from a few months back? Philemon's slave who ran away? He will be joined by Onesimus and a few others, and they will deliver the letters of Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon to Ephesus and to Colossae, and probably make a circuit tour of other churches in the Asia Minor province. Folks, this is one of the most important courier missions in all of history. And in that mail pouch is some of the most important material that will ever be delivered in all of history. Verse 22, And I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, and that he may comfort your hearts. So Paul mentions two reasons. Look carefully. He mentions two reasons for sending Tychicus on an epic journey for the first century. This was no small matter, folks, in the first century A.D. Sometimes we exaggerate the danger, but there was danger, there was hardship, there was time and a great deal of expense in this journey that these men were going to have to undertake. The first reason for sending forth this good brother is so the Ephesians can get an accurate first-hand account of all that is happening to Paul and other believers in Rome. Very important, obviously, important news. Again, that's what we are to emulate. Know what's going on with other churches, other ministries, and brothers and sisters in Ohio, in America, and around the world. The second reason is even more important, most important of all, to deliver the Word of God, these inspired letters, and to teach the contents of these letters, thereby comforting the hearts and minds of Christian believers in Ephesus, to give them the tremendous truth contained in this letter, and to provide the Ephesian believers, by the way, remember, they live in a grotesquely pagan city, at this time, to give them encouragement to grow in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, to give them encouragement to grow in the knowledge of God's plan that's in this book, and to appropriate all of the virtues of the Christian life, all of the Christian armor, to their new life in Christ. This is Paul's chief concern. Because remember, here's a poignant fact to remember as well. At the time that Paul is writing this letter, he has absolutely no idea whatsoever. If or when he will ever see these people again. This side of eternity, anyway. Verse 23, this beautiful benediction, two parts. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that Paul is formally concluding his letter now with a twofold prayer for the Ephesian believers. It's a prayer that really serves as something, as we would say a benediction, an invocation for God to bring blessing to the Ephesian church members. And first of all, Paul prays or asks for God the Father and the Son. You could just as well also add by way of the Holy Spirit. To give, to bring, to impart three cardinal Christian virtues, or some of the cardinal Christian virtues, peace, love, and faith upon the Ephesian believers. First, Paul prays for peace, arene. In the Greek, or shalom, the concept of shalom in Hebrew. First, rightness and wellness and wholeness and right relationship with God and then with yourself and the world around you. Peace that Paul taught in this letter, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Himself is our peace. If you recall from chapter 2, verses 13-14, Paul calls this gospel the good news, the gospel of peace. In chapter 6, verse 15, this peace is a gift from God that unites all believers and all Christian soldiers. They, we, are the ones who truly in the end shall enjoy the days of true and lasting and complete eternal peace. Paul prays for believers to know of and experience more of this peace in this life, in your journey, in your battleground of this life. Paul prays for love. Yes, that is agape. Agape. Love which is a gift of God. Love which is the noblest, highest, formest, purest form of love. Love which is truly godlike, and again a gift of God. This type of love that we receive from Him, that we reciprocate back to Him and to our brothers and sisters. To be poured into greater and greater measure, into and onto the believers in Ephesus. And as this is sacred scripture and His letter will be read and appropriated for all believers the world over, He's praying the same for you and I over the two millennia. This prayer for agape was Paul's focus in chapter 3, 14, and 19, if you recall. Agape love is a primary Christian virtue, according to the Apostle Paul in his letters. He taught this in this letter, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Love, which is again a gift of God from God, God's love in Christ. Next, faith. The shield of faith. One of the cardinal Christian virtues from the spiritual warfare metaphor. in pistis, the word for faith, meaning one on one. Personal faith, trust, and confidence in God, in Christ himself. Paul prays for believers to grow in their relationship to Jesus Christ and to one another by faith. In chapter 3, 17 and 19. Faith, as you recall, the shield of faith, absolutely essential in the struggle against our supernatural enemies. Faith conquers in spiritual warfare. Faith defends and drives back the darkness. And of course, remember what Paul wrote in one of the most famed chapters of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter. But he says, faith, hope, and love. And here, of course, he tells you again. He regards faith and love amongst the three of the cardinal Christian virtues. They are also said, of course, to be fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit meaning the work of the Holy Spirit of God manifested and demonstrated in the work of your life, the way you live your life. They are signs of the true and authentic Christian life. Now our concluding verse to the book and for the day. Grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love immortal or incorruptible. Very beautiful words. A very beautiful benediction. In studying this this week, we, we've probably read this benediction hundreds of times, dozens of times in, in our life, And I got choked up over this benediction a couple of more times this week. what the man is really saying, and what it means. Don't steamroll over it too quickly. Beautiful words, a beautiful benediction. Paul's final words, as far as he knows, to his Ephesian brothers and sisters, it is a prayer for the blessing of God's grace, kathos in the Greek, which means His favor. He is praying for the favor of God to be showered upon these people. Pray for the favor of God, for yourself and for your Christian brothers and sisters. The favor that no sinful human being deserves that He showers upon us and lavishes us with anyway, way, because He is the loving, gracious, and merciful, and forgiving God. Grace, favor, upon all the readers of this letter, for time immemorial who have new life in Jesus Christ, this new relationship with God the Son, the Savior. And notice there's a direct link. I found this very interesting. He links grace with your eternal life. He links directly or associates directly the grace and favor of God with immortality, eternal life. If you want immortality and eternal life, you must receive the grace and favor of God. If you have truly received the grace and favor of God, you will have immortality and eternal life. Paul is saying believers also will not only literally live on forever with Christ and one another, the christian believers christian soldiers will receive more and more of god's grace and his favor in an endless measure forevermore and on and on in eternity, in eternity pardon me in the eternal kingdom the favor of god upon his redeemed people it's one of the most important defining messages in all of paul's letters and all of his message, and all of Paul's theology and his inspired letters, at the core with Jesus himself is the grace and favor and mercy of God upon sinners, including himself, of which he would say, I'm the worst. I'm the chief. This is at the very heart the very core of what it means to be a Christian. You realize that. It's at the very heart and core of what it means to be a member of the people of God in this era of the new covenant, the last great age of history in and by way of Christ. And notice also, Paul begins this letter. Refer to your notes or your memory over our exploration of Ephesians. Towards the opening of the letter, Paul begins this letter with an invocation of God's grace, and he closes this letter with a benediction or a blessing of God's grace and His favor. It's what theologians call an ecclusio, brackets or bookends to a passage or a book. He's inspired to give you an important truth at the beginning of the passage or a book and He will conclude it with the same. And everything in between is a working out of that theme. Grace be with all of those who love with agape love, our Lord Jesus Christ. So this defines our very relationship or should to our Savior. It is one of agape love that we give back to Him for first loving us. Love is to be A characteristic, it is to characterize our relationship with our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Christ loves His bride. The bride loves Him in return. Christian soldiers love their commander. Christian soldiers are bound by love as well as duty to their commander, the King of Kings. And notice Paul concludes his benediction the whole letter with, A love incorruptible or a love with immortality. Our Lord Jesus Christ who dwells in incorruptibility or immortality. See what he's saying there? Paul is praying for a bestowal of God's grace and a greater experience of the blessings of the immortal life, the eternal life in the immortal Christ. He wants you to experience more of that in your life, in your journey, here in the present, this life as it is now. May the grace of God and eternal life, immortality, be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with agape love. It's a magnificent blessing. Paul is saying that God will bless His people with His favor and with the experience of the immortal life, the eternal life that we now have in the present time, living in your soul, in the core of your being because of the new birth, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Folks, you have eternal life, immortality, and incorruptibility living in you now, in the depth of your soul, the core of your being now. The Christian doesn't die, it's a change of location, of geography. Well, the body you may be shed of for a while and it goes in the ground, but even that comes back in time. Be aware of your incorruptible immortality now, Christian soldier. Let's see evidence of that in your life now, in your journey to our eternal home. We should be having a foretaste of that eternal life here and now. Why? How? Because of the contents of this letter appropriating it in your life, translating it into action in your life by way of this close, genuine relationship with our Lord, the King of kings. And so you see what he's doing by bringing eternity in the mind again? Remember, he gave you the big picture, the eternal perspective in the early part of the letter and at times throughout the letter. He's giving you the same here. He began the letter and he concluded the letter with an eternal perspective of the big picture. The grand divine plan. And so, Christian soldier, armor up. Armor up. Pray without ceasing. Exult and relish in the grace and mercy and favor of God. Never lose sight of the forest for the trees. Keep that divine plan here and here in the forefront of your consciousness, every day in the trenches of the battleground of this life, and you will arrive at our eternal home wisely and well in the end by divine plan. Thank you for journeying with me these past few months through this wonderful letter of the New Testament. Sovereign our God, our Heavenly Father, thank you For choosing Paul, saving Paul, filling him with your spirit and with the truth of your word, turning him into the master theologian that he was, filling him with your spirit to record the thoughts of your heart and your mind revealed to humanity and to your people. Help us all, all watchers and listeners here and abroad, to translate the truth of this letter into action in each and everyone's life, and to fight the good fight as dutiful Christian soldiers to build the kingdom of Jesus in this world to drive back the darkness and to not retreat against it, and to arrive at our home wisely and well when the great King returns. And Christian soldiers may enjoy the fruits of their labor and lasting peace once and for all and forever. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.